Northern Seminary in partnership with Missio Alliance. This is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. This is Jeff Holsclaw coming to you from Northern Seminary. I'm flying solo without David Fitch. This is our fifth and final special episode from the Mission of Preaching, which was our 2015 Missional Learning Commons. The theme was the Mission of Preaching. And today we have Mandy Smith, whom, for those of you who don't remember, she's originally from Australia, but she is the lead pastor of the University Christian Church on the campus um, which is a campus and neighborhood congregation with its own fair trade cafe. It's located in Cincinnati, Ohio. She is also the author of the most recent and wonderful The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations Empowers Our Ministry, coming to you from Inner Varsity. Uh, she was led the last breakout of our Missional Learning Commons with um, the theme of Preaching Through and To Vulnerability. Uh, all of these episodes, all five of them, have been grouped together in a playlist, so be sure to find that. Uh, you can download all these on iTunes. Please subscribe there or anywhere else you listen to podcasts, and we would really love your reviews. All right, well, that's enough from me. This is Mandy Smith. I think it's very interesting that I'm up here talking to anybody about preaching because I have never in my life been allowed to take a preaching class. So what I'm going to share with you today is the story of my own wrestling. I have definitely studied preaching, but I wasn't in the classes. Um, And so a lot of this is just my own story of how God has been shaping me as a preacher that I wanted to share with you. And it was interesting, just a few weeks ago, my husband teaches at Cincinnati Christian University, which is where we both studied. We basically live on that campus now. So it's very much my community, it's my alma mater, it's my husband's workplace, and uh, only this last year they allowed women into preaching classes. And so two weeks ago they invited me to be the first preacher who's a woman in, in their campus chapel. Um, in fact, they first invited me to speak in chapel, and I was like, let me just check, do you want me to speak or do you want me to preach? Um, and I know the guy, so he said, all right, Mandy. So I preached in, in, this, in my chapel, which was a significant moment for me. And when I was kind of processing with some people beforehand, uh, one guy was, he was trying to be encouraging, but he was like, you get him, you preach at him, you know, like, you can do this, like, dominate, was basically <laughs> his, his whole demeanor. And I know he was trying to be encouraging, but, but as you can imagine, like my, my anxiety just was like, oh my goodness. And even introducing Matt by saying he's a good preacher, I'm like, am I a good preacher? Would somebody ever say, what does it mean to be a good preacher? I mean, I totally knew what you meant by that. But at the same time, it's like, how are we supposed to serve the people that we preach to when that is going on in our own hearts, when that anxiety is going on behind the scenes, the performance piece that, how are we supposed to actually serve people and minister to them when our own anxieties and insecurities are in the mix? And so I realized that as this guy said this to me, what what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to prove to them that I'm supposed to preach, you know? 
Uh, and it was interesting to me because about 20 years prior to that, I had been the valedictory speaker at my graduation at that very same place. And you know, when you're the graduate, the valedictory speaker, they give you a pass from all your final exams. You've already proved yourself. So I had a whole week to shape a five-minute speech. And to this day, it's still the best speech I have ever given. <laughs> I wrote that thing. I polished it till it was publishable, and I memorized it. And I remember feeling so good when I got up to give that thing. I couldn't tell you what anybody's face looked like. I can't remember anybody from the audience. All I remember is this great feeling of strength and confidence inside of me. And that's the first and the last day that I ever felt that way. <laughs> and so when I stepped into ministry, though, I thought, man, what do preachers know that I don't know, that they're able to prepare this thing, shape this pearl to present every single Sunday, a 25 or 30-minute thing, uh, when they also have to deal with the mess of life? You know, I had a whole week off to do nothing. I had no kids, no classes, no exams. All I had to do was write a five-minute presentation. And then, as you know, when you step into ministry, you don't have that luxury. You're dealing with all the junk of your community and somehow trying to polish this beautiful thing to present on Sunday morning. And so I thought, what kind of skill? There must be something I don't know, some secret I haven't tapped into that I don't know how to get to that feeling I had on the day I gave my valedictory speech of feeling so strong and so comfortable and confident standing up there and having this pearl polished to just hold at arm's length and go, ta-da, look what I have made. Look how beautiful it is and how polished and perfect. And that appeals to me. So bad that appeals to me. Does that appeal to you? To just hold it out and everybody's like, oh, yes, you have done well. <laughs> that is beautiful. And so I think we all are wrestling with what does it look like to be polishing that pearl. And then the people who we're supposed to be ministering to through the week who keep interrupting our, our sermon preparation and keep taking all our energy away from it can become enemies. They're the ones who get in the way of our pearl polishing. And so how are we supposed to not only minister to them on Sunday morning when we're preaching, but throughout the whole week when they're getting in the way of our efforts to polish pearls? And this... I fear that this sometimes is a bit of a corny metaphor, but it comes from God, so I guess he's, he's a bit of a romantic. Um, but I remember a moment not so long ago when I had been invited to speak at um, uh, Evergreen Church in Portland, which, you know, I mean, we're in Portland here. This is the cool guys, right? All the rest of us are just pretending to be these guys. And so uh, I, I had had, I'd been traveling a lot. I'd been doing some speaking. I hadn't had much of my introvert time to prepare this beautiful pearl to present. And somehow all my stories seemed to happen with me being in the bathroom. I was just about to go up and preach, went to the bathroom, and was just praying, like saying, God, like, when are you going to give me this kind of life that I want where I can be ready on Sunday morning? When am I going to come to a place where I stand up and I find that feeling again where I've got something finished and ready and it's beautiful and ready to present and hold out at arm's length? And this moment, and this is where it feels a little corny, but it was really meaningful to me. God said to me, Mandy... You're the pearl I'm polishing. And even though it feels kind of corny, I, I've, been, I've chosen to be the pearl. And not that I'm the only pearl. We are the pearls that God is polishing. He wants to hold us out at arm's length and say, look what I'm working on. 
Look at this beautiful thing that I am making. And the scary thing for us is our whole selves get thrust out into that place. I want to be this person holding it at arm's length because I don't want to be drawn into it myself. I don't want my own baggage and my own story and my own brokenness to be drawn into that. I just want to take the best of it and polish it up. But God wants to put all of me out there in process, in mess, in the real everything of my life and just say, look what I'm making here. And so then the question comes, will we let ourselves be seen? Will we let ourselves be put out there? Will we submit ourselves in obedience to God's pearl polishing and his desire to present us as something that he is working on? This is where preaching comes in, becomes incredibly vulnerable for us. That we're not finished. We're never going to be finished. And yet God wants to keep presenting us. God keep want, want, wants to put us out there. And what I'm watching is how Jesus is not the only case of God coming in human form. And I think we have, we have, we're more comfortable with his deity than we are with his humanity because we're more comfortable with our own deity than we are with our own humanity. And so what, what this looks like then, if we're going to be the pearls that God is polishing and presenting, our whole lives become a testing ground for the things that he wants to teach other people. And so he longs, I've watched how he just longs to be embodied. He longs to be shown through human lives and faces and, and wrestling and talking and living. And that means we have to put ourselves in a place of being willing to be those people, which is a scary place. It's a scary thing to ask. But story has become such a kind of a trendy thing. And I, I get concerned that it's just this kind of postmodern thing that we'll move on from. And I hope that never happens because story is actually our, our first language. Before we can actually tell a story with words, we're living a story. Our whole life is story. We understand it. And I remember when my little girl, before she could ever speak, when she told her first story of writing a, a slide, and she just went, ooh, and we're like, she just told a story. She's already experiencing story because that is her existence. And now she's going to learn how to speak story. And so the story of our life, not just our telling of our story, but our living of our story is, is the way God seeks to be embodied. And so if we aren't willing to let that story be seen, either just watched or, or told, then we're denying God's ability to show what he's doing in us to other people. And have you seen how when somebody tells you ideas, that connects in some way, but when a whole person stands up and tells their whole self, when they bring their heart and their soul and their body before you and they share them, themselves as whole selves, then, then you're engaged as whole selves. And something magnificent, something mysterious breaks through. Uh, Kurt Thompson is a Christian neurologist, and he wrote a book called The Anatomy of the Soul. And he talks about the power of narrative and storytelling, which is incredibly freeing for me because as a woman, I have a tendency to feel like, well, that's, you know, I love telling stories, but that's kind of like bedtime stories. You know, it's kind of for kids. It's kind of hippie. It's kind of flowery and feminine and weak. But he redeemed it for me because as a neurologist, he was able to say, actually, I thought, I thought there was theology and argument and structured ideas, and then there was story over here. 
as this like right brain, left brain divide. But what he says is story engages the whole human because it does have, it does have structure, it has language which appeals to one part of our mind, but then it has colour and emotion and metaphor and imagery which appeals to the other part of our mind. And he uses the example of, of when Nathan challenges David. He could have come out swinging, he could have come screaming and accusing, but you know what he does, right? He tells a story. And he draws David into the story, and, and David, the king, gets wrapped up in it, forgets how much it connects to his own story, and, and is just transformed by, by what Nathan has to share with that story of the man and the, and the creatures. And so this is a beautiful reminder to me of how God calls us to, to share story. And I'm reminded of in Revelation 12 that those who overcome, overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which we're willing to say, yes, that is powerful, and the word of their testimony. And so somehow we don't have an excuse or any way out of sharing the story of how God is shaping us, even in the mess of it, even as we're still figuring out what this actually looks like. So how will we actually create opportunities for testimony in our own preaching? What does it look like to, to bring people in to the experience of what it means to let God live in our bodies? And Dave mentioned this morning about, uh, what was the word that he used? Rhetorical phrase, a rhetorical phrase. I would add to that an image there are opportunities that we have by storytelling to invite people, almost like when you've loved a movie and there's a particular scene, you can revisit that scene anytime you like. We have opportunities as preachers to create scenes in people's minds. Sometimes, you know, the, the repetitive phrase that we use is really powerful and that sticks with people, but so, so can image be. And sometimes it's not even just some story that we tell from out there. It's, it's seeing our own face that sticks with people. And so there are ways that we have opportunities to, to tell stories in a way that we're really present. The story of the mashed potatoes, we'll remember that. And that will stick with us and it will linger. It will go with us throughout our days and it will seek places to find an application in our daily lives because that, that image will stay with us. And so we have opportunities as preachers to shape those kinds of stories, our own stories, and, and stories that aren't necessarily our own. But I don't want to underestimate the power of sharing our own story, of bearing testimony. And this is vulnerable for me too because I have to call out where I see God at work when I'm still trying to figure it out myself, when it feels kind of weak or, or intangible. And I have to say, you know what? I think I'm seeing this. I think I'm watching this. I think I'm feeling God changing me. And I have to be willing to say, to, to let God put me out there as that pearl who's still in the process of being polished and say, can you see it? Can you feel it? Are you with me in it? Are we all being transformed together in this? And that's a scary thing to be willing to share our stories, even while we're still figuring them, them out our, ourselves. But as I said last night, the times when I have come with a beautifully a beautifully arranged outline, perfectly polished arguments and theologies, and I've felt so strong and it has fallen flat. And then the times when I'm still learning this myself, I still don't know if I even 
understand what it is that God wants to say through me. And I stand up there shaking in my shoes. And somehow people say that was powerful. It's because I'm, I'm willing to be seen, as scary as it is, still in process, still learning this in front of people, still learning in front of people. And so what does it look like for us to be willing to actually share what our own testimony is, what our own story is of how we are learning this? And it doesn't become, there is a way to make it about us, but there's a way to make it still about him. If we turn our attention to him, then their attention will be turned to him. And then, of course, what does it look like to invite other people to share their testimonies as well, to tell their stories? And when I have people invite, invite people up to share testimonies, often at, towards the end of a service as a way of saying, here's what this could look like for you. Here's one we prepared earlier, you know. Um, and so I always pray. I take their, their testimony as seriously as I take my own sermon preparation. And I walk with them in their preparation of their testimony um, shaping. And I tell them two things that I've realized I kind of am telling myself when I'm preparing sermons as well. I tell them, don't only give generalities. Don't say, I was, I was really struggling with this and then God taught me this. Take people to a moment. Give specifics. Make it real. Give people a sense of being there with you. Engage their senses. Tell, tell people how your stomach felt when that was happening or, or what you felt like doing or what response you had. Just bring people to that place by giving specifics of a particular situation. I remember uh, one time a girl was talking about what it meant to feel called to missions work. And that's such a big thing. It's easy for that to be really vague. And so I said to her, make it specific. Tell something that, that gives it something real. And she said, well, actually, one of the hardest things for me has been selling my, my mixer. They, were, they had just got married. She had just got this beautiful... Um, like ki kitchen, you call it a mixer? KitchenAid, one of those beautiful ones. And she's a baker and she loves to bake and she dreamed of having a coffee shop of her own one day and she wanted to bake for it. And this mixer was this thing she'd longed for her whole life and she'd finally got it and she had to sell it in order to go into missions work. And I was like, that's beautiful to tell the story of how much you loved that thing and how you wanted to serve other people with that thing. And out of obedience, you're, you're getting rid of that thing. So how can we, in the stories that we tell, bring it down to something that's really meaningful meaningful and real to people. And then the other thing that I, that I tell people when they're preparing testimonies is don't just talk about what you've learned. Let it be still in process. Always share how this is where God has brought me, but I'm still figuring it out. People don't need to hear that somebody's arrived. Nobody's going to relate to that. Uh, and so this is something that I take that I also try to remember for myself too. Don't, don't make it feel like you've landed in, in any place, but, but help people into the process with you. Um, another thing that we have done too is, and, and Jeff has done this this weekend, have moments where you just stop. It's a beautiful gift to give people on a Sunday morning um, where they've given you an hour or so of their time to give some of it back to them and to say, we're just going to take five minutes. And if you're like me, five minutes in the middle of a service feels like an hour. It's such a long time of silence when you're used to just filling air. Um, and so to then say, we've just talked about these ideas. A few people have shared what that looks like for them. What does that look like for you? Give them a moment to push this huge truth down into their own life. Find some way of applying it. And so here's a way that we are letting people be 
take ownership of, of this experience for themselves. If we prepackage some nice little application for people, then we, we kind of are shortcutting the opportunity for them to find, find meaning for themselves with it and to find a connection for themselves. And so giving that time of reflection is a beautiful opportunity to do that. Another thing that we've done is... Um, Kind of hands-on experiences, you know, we, we learn as whole beings. And uh, so if we only want to engage people's minds, well, it's amazing to me how we're, as preachers, we're always like, why don't people apply this thing? I make them sit still and just listen to me. Why don't they know how to walk this thing out? And so how, is we, how could we as preachers actually engage? I see the artist nodding. She gets it. How could we engage our whole bodies in the learning process since our whole bodies are going to be involved in the application process? Now, we can't necessarily do this on a Sunday morning, but there are ways that we can do this. And one simple thing that we did, um, one Sunday I was preaching about Ecclesiastes, and I took the metaphor of chasing after the wind and said, yes, it's only wind. All of the blessings and the, the good things in our life that we feel are always slipping through our hand, they're only wind, but they still can be gifts from God. Our relationships, our work, our, our possessions, all the things that Solomon was kind of lamenting, they, they are fleeting, like chasing after wind, but they are gifts from God. And so I kind of extended the metaphor of chasing after wind and said, what would it look like to fly a kite? To, to see the wind for the limited thing that it is, see our work, see our relationships, see our possessions and our pleasures as limited things and treat them as such and, and hold them lightly but enjoy them. And so we made these little origami kites and uh, had time during the worship set for people to just come forward as they, as they were able to or wanted to and write the one thing in their life that they'd like to fly a kite with, the way that they people wrote like their body image or their marriage or their work and, and how they wanted to not hold on to it so lightly but at the same time enjoy it more in that way, just like flying a kite. And so by the end of the service, people had had an opportunity to actually name what that looked like for them and how that squeezed down into their life, into their own story. And uh, we hung all those up. As they were finished, they kind of strung them all up and they strung and kind of fluttered above our heads. And so not only could we name that individually, but we could see we're a part of a community of people who are naming these things together and applying these lessons to our lives together. And it was a beautiful thing. All these colorful little kites fluttering over our heads was really a beautiful thing. And so there's many ways that we can invite people into this process with us and invite them through our own stories to find ways to let God be embodied in their stories. And I'm sure you guys, I'd love in the conversation time actually to hear other ways that you are helping people through the process of, of engaging your story and engaging their own story as well. A big part of this for me, um, how much time do I have? Yeah, I was going to wrap up um, with this one thing. Um, a huge part of it for me, coming back to the question at the beginning of how are we supposed to really serve people if we're wrapped up in our own anxieties of how to share our own story. Um, I remember the very first time I had to preach, uh, <laughs> I was the associate pastor at the time. Preaching was not a part of my job. I, I was in, in charge of kind of organizing the service and getting volunteers organized. And I got the call at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night from the lead pastor who was stuck in an airport and said, I'm snowed in. I'm not going to be there tomorrow morning. And uh, I was like, well, 
I'm the associate pastor, so I guess I'm going to be preaching in the morning. That was my introduction to preaching. And so by chance or not, um, the Sunday, the, the, the passage chosen for that Sunday was the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And I remember standing up there and totally relating to this, these people with nothing in their hands. And so my first sermon ever, I was saying, I can't do this. I don't have what I need to preach. And yet, here I am. And that's what a lot of my sermons still feel like. And I've realized how I had that sense of a few crumbs in my hand and, and the scarcity of that. And, and asking God, just like in that story, multiply it and make it more than I feel like it is by itself. But it, and that was really helpful in a way. But it also was limiting in a way. And it reminded me of how I was when I was first married and I started hosting people in my house. And maybe you guys wrestle with this too when you're having people over. There's a performance element to that. And there's a way when you're inviting people into your home that you, want, you hope your house looks good enough and you hope the food is good enough. And in the beginning, I was so exhausted from trying to make it all perfect that by the time the guests arrived, I was like, Enjoy yourself, I'm going to bed. Like, I don't actually care about you anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm done. And most of the time, I was so anxious about everything being just right that I actually didn't attend to the needs of my guests. I wasn't present with them. And over the, over the course of many times of hosting people now, I've come to a place where I'll take a nap in the afternoon even if everything isn't ready because it's more important for me to be present as a host than for the house to be perfect or the food to be perfect. And now on a good day, I'm praying for my guests as I'm chopping vegetables that afternoon because I want to create a space that I'm welcoming them into. And so I came to see how that prayer of me standing with a few crumbs when I was preparing a sermon and praying for the crumbs to be made more than they were was helpful in a way, but it was still about, oh, I hope it'll be enough. I hope I have something to offer and I hope they'll be fed. But it still left me looking at my own hands and at my own scarcity. And even just last night when I was getting ready to speak to you all, again, I'd had a busy day. I'd been all over the place yesterday. I hadn't had my introvert time to, to just feel like I was ready. And, uh, and yet then I just stood here and I just looked at you all and I just, I just asked God to show me his love for you. And instead of saying, I haven't been... I'm not, I'm not feeling as ready as I'd like to feel. I've only got crumbs in my hands. Instead of looking down at my, at my hands and my meager offering, I looked at the ones I was welcoming. And, 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 and my, my love for you was what was fueling whatever was happening last night instead of my sense of the scarcity. And so I've come to see how preaching is hospitality. Preaching is welcoming people into a space but what kind of hosts are we going to be if we're worried about if we're good enough, if the food is good enough, if the space is good enough? Instead, if in our preparation and our presentation, our greatest longing is for God to be known, for each heart in this place to be touched in some way, for each person to go home feeling fed, feeling full and nourished, then it changes our whole way of seeing our people. And it changes, how, how can I really serve and preach to an audience if I see them as the enemy or the critic or the ones I'm trying to impress? There's no way I can, I can, I can really bless them. And so the simple act 
of praying for the people. Maybe you guys do this all the time, but it's been revolutionary to me to get over myself. I could spend a lot of time just, just talking about and thinking about my own inadequacies and trying to get over those and trying to pray through those. But instead to just take my eyes off that entirely, those things don't go away, but instead to see the needs of the people and to know you guys are wrestling with the same things I'm wrestling with. You're longing for the same things I'm longing for. And to create a space that invites you in is, is, has transformed me and it's helped me get over all of the, the junk that we bring to this space. And so... That's really what I wanted to share with you today.